The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special off-season edition, host George Templeton reviews what's been happening since the last time the Rams hit the court. And now, here's George. All right, fans, welcome back to Rams Rewind. We are here again. We are starting our series on new players that are coming to VCU. I did not think I was going to have to do a lot of these this year, but of course... Thanks to the upheaval with our program, we're going to have a lot of new players coming in. And first and foremost, before we start that, if you like what you hear and you want to support our podcast, you do that, we'll shout you out uh, in the podcast like we do our friends Dwayne Dagenhart and Jason Jacobus who have donated to us this year already. Uh, there's a link in the description on, your, on Podbean and your other various podcast platforms to a PayPal account that you can donate to. We appreciated all the support you gave us last year. We appreciate the support you give us this year. Thank you very much. Now, to the matter at hand, we have a very special guest joining us here. He really is Central Virginia's own New Kent High School grad and state basketball champion with New Kent, undefeated, by the way, 26-0, not too shabby. Excellent, outstanding player at Mount St. Mary's. More on that later. Assistant at various places, including VCU in 2012. Boy, he went off to Mount St. Mary's, become the head coach, and had a very historic and successful run there. Then at Siena, then at George Washington, and it's his George Washington experience we're going to mostly discuss tonight because he coached one of the players that's coming to VCU a couple years ago in 2021-2022, two seasons ago now. It's going to be two seasons ago. Jamie and Christian coached Joe Bamisil, the, the star from Monacan High School, who is now transferring to VCU from Oklahoma and Coach Christian, we welcome you to Rams Rewind. Thank you for joining us. Hey, you know, I love my Ram family. I've always felt uh, just, I always love being a part of it. And I always love how everyone supported me, even after I moved on. Obviously, being from Central Virginia, um, you love watching the Rams have great success. Grow, grew up watching them grow it, and it's been a lot of fun to be a part of it. And to say, at least to say that I feel like I laid a brick towards the foundation of where this thing has become, it's great to be a part of it. I'm just really thankful that you have me on today. Oh, goodness. And, and and yes, I can tell you, at least from my perspective, a lot of others, we were always looking out for your scores when you were at Mount St. Certainly I was at Mount St. Mary's. And just to, just to point out the historic nature of what he did at Mount St. Mary's, they were in the Northeast Conference for almost 40 years. That was their original Division I conference before they moved on to the Metro Atlantic. And it was Coach Christian, only coach ever to win the regular season and the conference tournament in the same year, at Mount St. Mary's. They had never won a conference tournament title game at home until they did, I think it was 2017, if memory serves. Is that right? 20, 2016? 2016. And then went in the tournament and won a game, too. So, uh, you know, had a great time Had a great time there and a, and a pretty good spell at Siena for George Washington. Now, Joe Bamisil, he's at Virginia Tech, and he comes in the portal, and you, you bring him to George Washington – Tell me how that happened. You know, was he somebody that had been had been on your radar when you were recruiting him out of high school? 
and tell me how you got into George Washington, first of all. Yeah. Well, you know, number one, Joe Bamisil was a guy, when I was at Siena as a head coach, we started recruiting him. He was one of the first guys we started recruiting when I got the job there. He was just leaving Mount Verde, coming, and he had one season, I believe, at, at Monacan at the time. His high school coach, RJ, is a great friend of mine. And so, you know, we connected on that right away. And, you know, Joe's a special player. I mean, I think people sort of forget how special a player he is. His high school career um, at Monacan is one of the best in the history of that school, one of, one of the best in the history of that district. So we knew him, and I had a great rapport with him from when we recruited him the first time. I loved his energy. Like, VCU fans are going to love his energy, how outgoing he is. He's going to really fit into the campus community with the way that he's able to connect. A guy who's like a really talented artist and rapper and all these other things. Um, and so when he came available at, at GW, uh, I didn't even let my assistants really work on it. Like this is just one of these things where I went one on one. I called him on FaceTime the very first day he was available. He answered, and you know I think I want to say seventy two hours later he committed to us. And I think he felt the energy I had with him. He felt the bond. He's an excellent player. He's an amazing, an amazing person. Uh, I still talk to him. You know, we talk basically every single week um, because I just love the guy so much. And and see, and it's interesting that you say that because. I'm going back and looking at, at the season he had with you. Of course, he ends up, I think, it's second-team all-conference. He started out hot, but as I looked through his game game log that year, to me, he got better and better. How do you think his game developed that year at, at uh, George Washington that you had him? What Joe does great is he's a – you know, everyone talks about being a lifelong learner. And I think we usually use that language when we're like mid-40s, right? We're a little bit older. We start, oh, I'm a lifelong learner. I need to keep learning. But he's really learned that art as, as young as he is. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to keep learning. I remember we had this conversation – we went down to Charlotte, and I do want to say this. You know, my last year at GW, we had a lot of guys who were really talented, but they were in their first year really playing college basketball, right? And so Joe didn't play much at Virginia Tech at all. And so really it's like his freshman year with us, even though he's a sophomore. And sometimes when a guy's really talented, people start to think they should be ahead of the curve. And the reality of it is you still got to learn the lessons you need to learn. So we go down to Charlotte, and we play. We don't we don't play very well. You know, we play really poorly. I want to say Joe might have been like minus 18 in the plus minus. We are really analytically sound, so we really follow that really closely. And after the game, I think he came to the office, and he wanted to kind of know you know, how he could be better. And we sat down to staff with Graham Bowsley, actually another VCU guy, and we watched the film, and we just explained him how plus minus works and how you know the little details make a big thing that happens. And, and we, we walked all the way through, watched the entire game the night after the game, and it, a light bulb went off for him. And he just, ah, you know, I'm, he's, and you know, he's a guy that's like, coach, I'm so thankful you explained that to me because you talk all the time about plus minus and I never really understood the ins and outs of it. And from that Charlotte game, his, his year took a, took a great turn. Now we knew that it would, George, you know, I wasn't really worried about him getting it, but the job when you bring in a young talent, a young player, not just a young talented player is trying to find the language and vernacular that are going to allow them to understand what it takes for them to be their very best. I felt like we got that. I mean, you got. I, I, I think he would have probably been preseason. For, he would have been definitely preseason eight ten first team, and he might have been preseason player of the year coming back with the year that he was able to have the shooting numbers he had in conference play. Uh, he would have been the leading scorer coming back. I think we would have had two. We would have had two of the top three leading scorers coming back with him and Bishop. So he's just a really, a really introspective person who loves to learn. Our environment at GW is perfect for the time that he was there, but VCU's environment is perfect for the person that he is right now. 
Well, and, and you brought up James Bishop because that was the other thing that was interesting to me. Watching watching GW that year when I could and when you played VCU, how did the dynamic work? Because James Bishop, very good scoring guard himself, had the ball in his hands a lot. How did the dynamic between the two of them work? And and was there ever times when they would get frustrated if one was getting more opportunities at the basket or more shots than the other? Yeah, you know, one of the things with Bishop was so interesting is that he like he really wants to win. And because he's such a gifted scorer, you know, and sometimes it can look like he goes off off to his own a little bit. You know, they those guys had really good rapport inside that locker room together. Um, they understood that they both needed each other. Um, you know, the key to that dynamic working was Brayon Freeman, that the freshman who was all freshman team that year, and I think he was second or third team all preseason at Rhode Island, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's a really talented player, but Brayon Freeman was a great facilitator. So the the key to the whole thing would have been in year four, which we didn't get to was going to be Brayon's ability to create for them and score on his own when he needed to, but the ability to really facilitate the ball and, and I uh, had a lot of confidence. Those guys are going to be able to do that, but they, you know, it, it's something when you have talented players, especially guys who can score it, who play the wings, it's going to take a little bit of time. There's going to be a little bit of friction as a head coach. You have to be really comfortable with the amount of friction because the friction is what's going to allow them to grow. And the friction is what you got to work through to allow those guys to go be their very best and to do it together. You talk about the fit he's going to have at VCU. Tell our tell our listeners if you can what type of game are we talking about here? I mean, I've seen I looking at his stats it sounds like definitely can shoot from the outside, definitely has some and it's not just that he can he can drive and slash a little bit. You know, how is he going to, how is he going to fit in? What are the things that VCU fans should look for when they see him take the floor in October? Yeah, I would say if if there's a game to look at, I'd go back and look at our our game versus Maryland that year. Well, he was electric, and then any of the games really later in the year, you know, where he was scoring twenty plus and just really, really on fire. Um, I think that what I like about Coach Odom's system, and and maybe it'll be a little bit different because he'll have different kind of player at VCU, but you know, I coach against Winnie at UMBC. I've known him for a long time. He's a shaver guy. I'm a shaver guy, so you know, we, we've got some connections that are a little bit deeper than maybe people see on the outside. You know what he does great is he really adapts his system to allow his very his very best players to go and score. You know, his teams always score the ball. They always score quickly. They always play fast, especially on the offensive end. And I think that really fits who Joe is right now. Um, you know his ability to shoot the ball from the outside. You know, from my vantage point, I'm not in the practice with Coach Odom. His shooters always had a ton of confidence. They never backed down from a shot if they had one that was open. They were always super aggressive. And that's really who Joe Bama still is. You know, Joe really struggles with guys. I mean, he's had one and he's had probably two coaches who kind of, you know, shielded him away from taking some of those risks and taking some of those chances. And that's not, that doesn't really fit his style. I mean, he's a guy that you got to give him a clean slate, let him go and attack it. And he's always going to give you more pluses and minuses. You just got to let it go. I mean, I'd always tell him, I said, you know, he'd get frustrated if he missed one or two shots. And I'd say, listen, man, you're a 9-0 run waiting to happen. So, you know, let's just stay in the game here. And there were many times he brought us back doing that. He strikes me, too, as a guy, just looking at his entire college profile, he's got to be on the floor. He's got to be playing. That's, you know, that he's not somebody that you can play, you know, five minutes here, six minutes here, five minutes here. And he's, he's got to be in the rhythm of the game. Is that, is that your feeling as well? Yeah, you know, I think one of the challenging parts about the other stops that he's had is that, you know, you know, he's not. I agree with you. He's not a guy that's a twelve to fifteen minute player. I mean, he's a guy that 
like to me, you always want to get a guy like that on the floor, and you just need to let him go and 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 uh, and be who he is. And and we, I think we targeted a number. I think we he played probably thirty two or thirty three minutes for us. You know, we targeted that number. We wanted to get there, keep him fresh in stints, but give him a lot of ability to go and just kind of reset himself. But to, but to really lean on that scoring ability. Also, I think part of the underrated of his game, he was an outstanding rebounder and shot blocker for us. You know, we felt like. Um, that he was going to really transition to a really elite defensive player. Again, high basketball IQ, so understands the game. One of the things he had to learn with us was when to take risk, when not to. But over that year, as he settled down, I mean, he really started defending at an incredible level. Again, I had a lot of confidence with that group coming back in, in year four that we were going to be one of the top two or three teams in the A-10. I, I wasn't really worried about that at all because I've been able to watch each of these guys kind of grow. And a big part of it was I felt like he was a guy that his growth defensively, blocking shots, rebounding the ball, and the ability to learn how to keep people in front, he took a big jump with us. Um, VCU's going to really be the recipient of that. And I think the thing we've got to remember, too, is that all these players that are now juniors and seniors, a lot of them, they had their very early college development interrupted by COVID and all the craziness with that. And as a coach, that had to be a very difficult thing to deal with. You know, not sometimes not knowing, A, if you were going to play, or B, who you were going to play. Because I know, at least from the VCU perspective, that, that, that year, you know, we had two or three times where we were going to play Team A and it ended up changing Team B because somebody was on a pause or whatever. So – I mean, that's something I feel like we have to keep in mind with guys like Bama Sill is that they've had their basketball development really severely altered and even interrupted in some cases because of all the craziness with that. So just just comment on that for a moment if you would please. Yeah, you know, I think there's been a level of inconsistency that's been there for those guys and those players. And, you know, good thing is he's now about, you know, he's two years away from that. Um, you know, I know the guys we had internally at VCU, I mean, the guys we had internally at GW, you know, the biggest challenge was that year for us, we had we had an insurrection. We had seven other times that we were blocked off of campus. We got kicked off of campus for the year. So for the players we had at GW, it, it was a really different time. Um, everybody went through a lot that year. You know, Bamsel didn't join us till after that, thank goodness. So he was sort of had a little bit of normal college experience in the in the in the district. Um, but I think all of them are challenging from that. I think when I when I really look at it. I, I think looking at their college stats from that year and the year after, you, you just have to you have to weigh it because you know, it just depends. Because again, if you were a guy who was really affected by the isolation, you weren't going to be at your very best. The environment didn't allow you to go and be able to do that. I think he, he's much more indicative to what he did with us in our first in our, in our first year together. Um, with the consistency we were able to do to get in the gym and how he likes to work, he found a great consistency with us, and I thought that was why he was really able to be successful. The interesting thing about Joe Bamisil is he was the first. There's a bunch of local 804 ballers who are coming home to play at VCU. He was the first one. You you played in the region. You went up to Mount St. Mary's. That's not that far away. Emmitsburg to, to New Kent's probably like three you know three hours, whatever it is. What is your feeling about players you know staying home and playing versus versus venturing out? It's long been a frustration of mine that so much local talent in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia leaves, and that we can't keep them at home. Because we, we've, there's so much talent here that all the basketball teams here should be good, in my opinion. So, but what is your feeling about that? And again, your own experience—you didn't go, you didn't stray too far from home to go to play at Mount St. Mary's. What is your thoughts on those things as well? Well, you know, if you look at my track record at Mount St. Mary's, we had more DMV players than anybody in the country. The same thing we were at GW. I mean, our GW roster was basically DC, Maryland, Virginia. We hung our hat there. I mean, I really believe in this three-hour radius. 
you know, you draw a circle around the three hour radius and you've got to dominate that area. That's always been my focus. And, um, I just think that that's where you're going to get the best, 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 um, best players for your program. That's where you get the most consistency from. And being in a DMV, I mean, I think you got to remember, I think 7% of college basketball players are from Maryland, DC, Virginia, or Carolina. I think they're Carolina and it's like, it's like 11% or something. Mm-hmm. So VCU sits in a great area where you can bring in local talent. I think that, I think the NIL is going to help because if you're a local guy, there's much more of incentive to stay close to people, you know, the area where you are. Um, I think that's going to be a huge benefit for players. And I think the transfer portal for a place like VCU is going to be really beneficial. You're seeing that with players that, that come back home and you know, what's the number one thing that happens to any of us when we go through something um, that disappoints us, we want to get back home. Mm -hmm. So it makes a lot of sense for guys and with team loaded being so close and being so stacked every single year, team loaded, Virginia team loaded, North Carolina, those programs are so stacked every single year. You're going to have some players that go a little bit above where they should go, won't have an opportunity to perform the way they need to. VCU is a great landing spot for them. You know, I'll tell you this. I mean, if you look at the history of Gonzaga, Gonzaga basketball got rolling as Gonzaga because they were getting all the transfers from from the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And and the, so the transfers from the Pac-12 always started supplementing Gonzaga's roster. And then when Gonzaga rose to a certain level, they started out recruiting the Pac-12 I see that being the history for VCU, and I think it's happening right in front of us. In your among your stops as an assistant, you were part of one of the most successful areas of excuse me successful eras of William and Mary basketball. You coached for Tony Shaver, who you mentioned, who of course Ryan Owen coached for as well. And then you come to VCU. I just want I I, I know a lot of people like to do this, but I've got to do it. Just reflect on those two years at VCU, the final four year, and then the next year. You know, VCU very successful, four, I think four or five seed in the tournament, got to the second round. What was that time? What was that time like for you? Because again, you're still a pretty young assistant and you've had a lot of success at William and Mary, but you come to VCU and it just blows up. I know. I, well, you know, I missed the final four year. So I came in the year after the final four oh, year. I thought, you came in, I thought you were here in 2011. No. I'm sorry. You know what I was doing when the final four is happening? I was sitting in a, at a restaurant here in, in, in Williamsburg, Virginia, and thinking, how the hell are we ever going to beat these guys? <laughs> Because, you know, one of the things that I recognized pretty quickly with, with, with Coach Smart, I, your coach gets me this first year, and his second year, he improved so much in that second year. And the one thing you knew about his personality was that he had sustainability, which I always say is the best ability. He had sustainability. So you recognize pretty pretty quickly, like, we, had, you know, I was saying, man, we're never going to beat these guys because he has the ability to – People, people are going to want to play for him. He's going to coach his ass off. He's going to galvanize the fan base, which I knew from being here how 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 much it loves basketball. And you know, people forget Richmond really used to dominate the fan bases in the 804 area. You know, Richmond was the place where that I was selling out every single night when they had Dick Tarrant and those mm-hmm. guys. And VCU came in and sort of stole that fire and stole that flame, and they've been able to hold that mantle uh, up until today. So I come in. And, you know, I walk into the office with Coach Smart, and this is my first day, and he gives me two things. He says, Jamian, uh, I want you to – we need to beat Richmond, number one. And number two, you need to, toy train, you need to turn Troy Daniels into a pro. Mm. Those are my two things that he gave me when I walked in on the very first day. And, and so I just knew right then the environment was different. You know, I'd never, had, had, I'd never been told to help turn someone into a pro, and he gave me one edict on, on terms of beating Richmond, so I recognized how important that was. And I think what was really important about that year was that, you know, when we talk about sustainability, sustainability is really hard. And 
that team that I had a chance to come into, Troy Daniels, I think it only made 43s in his career at that point over two years. Darius Theus, I think he's got 25% from three the year before we got there. Um, you know, Jamie Skeen had graduated. Javante Reddick was unknown. Travion Graham was just coming into the program as a freshman. Breontae Weber's coming in as a freshman. And so I kind of give you all those. Rob Brandenburg had some great moments as a freshman. He was a sophomore. Like, that's a great time to be in VCU history. But I think it's super important because we didn't take a step back. We, you know, we went on, we won 29 games, which at the time might still be, was the most wins in school history. Mm-hmm. We took a team of guys who didn't play who didn't play a ton in the Final Four run, maybe had moments, and we were shot away with Will Sheehy making a baseline jumper from going to back-to-back Sweet 16s. Right. And I really look at that in my time and go, wow, like what an amazing moment that we're able to hold the fort. When most people would have taken a step back with the losses in graduation and and like like uh, Rodriguez was gone and you know all these really good players who made huge shots, we found a way to hold the fort. The ability within that locker room, the ability within that coaching staff to bond together and recognize the moment was as special as anyone I've ever been a part of, and we still hold that season so dear to us because you know we we were trying we we were we were trying to be better than that Final Four team. We found a way to be better in the regular season and to take another step in the NCAA tournament. Just a really special year. Oh, great, great memories. All those names, especially Troy Daniels, who could literally walk in the gym and jack it up and it would go in. That's <laughs> that he had, as soon as he walked in the gym, bang, he could make them. It's unbelievable. Coach Christian, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us here at Rams Rewind. We believe in shameless self promotion. So anything you want to promote, social media, anything you're doing currently right now. Let, let's let's have it. Yeah, come find me. I, I've got a podcast that's growing every every week. We've had great guests on. Last call with Jamie and Christian, who is who is who. That's who I am. I also have a second one called Winning in the Margins. It's a really topic based show where we talk about some really interesting things, like the value of the twelfth man, the value of the bench, changing culture in a, in a really uh, tough environment. We just take on small topics. It goes about twelve to twenty minutes. It's really short and sweet. But we really talk about some interesting things. They're a lot of fun. Um, but you can find me on my website, jamieandchristian.com, all over social media. I'm diving into a ton of consulting stuff right now with a lot of different clients. It's been a really fun time in my life. And who knows, there any moment you can find me back on that sidelines, pushing another team towards the NCAA tournament. Well, that's what I, I, I hope I hope we do see that in the future. By the way, on Twitter, at Jamie and Christian, J-A-M-I-O-N-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, on Twitter, follow, give this man a follow. Coach Christian, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Folks, that's Rams Rewind, and that's the first. That's the first in this series about all the new players. We're going to have more episodes coming with great guests talking about these players that are new to the VCU program. So stick with us during the summer and the fall as we get you ready for season 2023-2024. Thank you very much. Have a good day, everybody. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.